So this is a message series where we're confirming something that most of you probably already knew, that there are certain actions or attitudes that when people have them in their life, there is the potential for them to cause damage to their lives and even to the lives of the people around them. And when that happens, wouldn't it be nice if there was someone in your life to say, hey, watch out, (laughs) you're heading into a bad place, or hey, you're swerving into danger? Well, that's the main idea of this message series. This message series, we hope and pray, are kind of like rumble strips for your life. And last week, we got started by talking about our relationship with this, with this word, um, busyness. And one of the things we recognized is that busyness is a very, I would say, nuanced thing. There's layers to it. That just because your calendar has a lot of things on it doesn't mean that that's a bad thing necessarily. That in fact, Jesus, during his three-year ministry, was a very busy purpose, person. I should say. But there is a different type of busyness that we wanted to talk about, and I guess I use the term um, crazy busy. It's, it's the type of busy where we don't have time to breathe. It's the type of busy which we have some control over our schedules, and we're so busy that we don't have the opportunity to have good priorities in our lives. It's this feeling of exhaustion and irritability because there's so much going on. And what we found last week is that when we come to Jesus, when we yoke ourselves to him, or better said, when he yokes himself to us, we're going to find the rest that we really need. It starts right here. It's rest for our souls. And if that sounds interesting to you and you weren't here last week, as always, you can catch up and watch and listen to that message online. But this week, what we're going to do is talk about a topic that I think, or at least a word that all of us uh, hear about quite a bit. It's this word, it's um, entitlement. Now, over the last decade or so, I would say that entitlement has become a little bit of a buzzword. And typically, when you hear the word entitlement, it's usually related to um, older people talking about those younger people, those younger generations, those millennials and Gen Z people. They're, they're so entitled. It's the, it's the eight-year-old who throws a fit because not everyone gets a trophy at the end of your Little League uh, uh, tournament. Or it's the the teenager who um, feels as if her world is crumbling because her parents are asking her to drive a car to school, and that car is old. It's a 20-something who just started their very first job, and they come into it thinking, because their parents told him this his entire life, that he is God's gift to the company. And so all of his expectations and all of the the things that he really wants needs to be met or otherwise, or otherwise he's out of here and he's looking for a new job. Are young people entitled? 
Probably. (laughs) By the way, some of that was taught to them by their older parents, just so you know. But it's not just young people who are entitled. The truth of the matter is, is that entitlement is an issue for every age and every demographic. And as I was reading an article this week by a pastor, um, he put it this way, that entitlement in America is like the air that you breathe. It's everywhere. So, let's define terms. What is entitlement? What what am I talking about when we're talking about an entitlement mentality? (laughs) Well, I'm going to define it this way. Entitlement is the feeling that you deserve or are owed something that you didn't earn, nor was it promised to you. We live in a country and at a time where there is a ton of material wealth. We live in a time in world history where more than ever before, we know what other people are doing, what other people have, and where other people are going. And it can be very easy to see what other people have and to feel entitled or deserving of what they have that we don't. It goes something like this. They have fill in the blank. I should have fill in the blank too. And so entitlement comes up sometimes where we're feeling we are owed something or deserve something that we don't have. But there's, there's another type of entitlement. It's like two sides of the same coin. Um, it, it's the feeling that you can have when you take for granted or feel like you're owed the things that you do have. Do you realize how many of the things we just take for granted that are actually not necessities but luxuries? I was thinking about that this week. I mean, my list, mental list, was so long. And in another article I read this week, uh, it was proposed that this is how often the stages of entitlement happen. And I, I wonder if you can relate to this. That, first of all, you receive a gift with gratitude. That it's something new, something you didn't have before, something that you don't really need. It's a a vanilla latte at Starbucks. You receive it with gratitude. And then, number two, you get used to the gift with routine. If you get that same vanilla latte from Starbucks every Friday or every Wednesday and Friday or every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you get used to it, don't you? And what happens next is then that we demand that gift as a right, and maybe something happened economically in our family. It was probably um, buying too many Starbucks, um, where you don't have the financial funds to be able to afford it, and now all of a sudden you feel gypped. You feel like you don't have what you are owed. You grumble, or we grumble and complain because we don't have that which we thought we are owed, but honestly, it was just a gift. It was a blessing. It was a luxury. So, (laughs) do you struggle with entitlement? 
I was thinking about this topic this week, as I was talking it over a little bit with Pastor Matt as well, I think one of the things that we came to the conclusion on with entitlement is that it's very hard to know from the outside looking at the outside (laughs) at a person whether they are struggling with entitlement or not. Like there can be signs like, like people who are just consumed with themselves, people who maybe have a hard time feeling happy for other people, people who feel like crabby when they don't get what they want. Like there's some outward signs, but the, the truth of the matter is the reason why I don't know whether you're entitled and you don't know whether I'm feeling entitled is because it's a heart issue. And I believe we all struggle with it. But to what degree only you know and God knows, only I know and God knows about myself. Now, and then here's the other thing, and this is where now we're transitioning to what the Bible has to say, that when it comes to entitlement, it's always connected to a spiritual issue, guys. Who gives you everything you have? Christians. God does, right? Who's in control of how your life goes? God. So who are you upset with? Or who am I upset with when I don't have what I think I deserve? When I don't do what I think I am owed? When I don't have what I think is rightly mine? Well, we're upset ultimately, with God. And here's the ditch of entitlement. Here's where the the danger comes when it comes to to how uh, we sort of interact with life and, and how we feel. That when it comes to entitlement, when it's unaddressed, unaddressed entitlement will lead to a lifetime of bitterness and disappointment. Because when there's entitlement and we are just owed a whole bunch of things that we deserve what we got, you know what? It's lacking, and we'll get to this later in the message. It's very hard to be thankful and entitled at the same time. Maybe even impossible to be both. And so it happens with entitlement. When it goes unaddressed, it leads to bitterness and disappointment and unhappiness. So I want to reset our expectations today. What should we expect? And my goal is not to lower the bar of expectations so low that no matter what you have, you know, you're just automatically happy because you felt like you have nothing. That's not arbitrarily my goal. Or to set the bar so high But instead, our first fill-in for today. Today, as we get into God's word, we want to align our expectations. We want to align them with what God says, with the truth of God. So to do that, we're going to turn to a parable, a parable of Jesus. Now, Parables, and I know most of you know this, but were stories, made-up stories that Jesus taught, not just for entertainment value. It was stories that he taught with a specific purpose 
of teaching the people, the hearers, something about God or how he works. And so we're going to turn to a parable that he shared in Matthew chapter 20. Starts it with this way, for the kingdom of heaven is like, and that term, we've come across it before. All he's saying is this is what God is like, or this is how things work in God's kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, this shows a little bit of some of the the cultural things that were unique to that time, which is that there were day laborers who didn't have necessarily the same job every single day, but they would make themselves available to whatever businessman or landowner or farmer needed some help. And typically what would happen is that they would be, let's say, in this case, in the marketplace in Jesus' story, but they'd be in town Landowners would know where to go to find them, and then they would get hired for the day or for the week. So in Jesus' story, that's what was happening. And he agreed to pay the workers a denarius for the day and then sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius, uh, probably best understood when it comes to how much money that was, was the typical fair wage for a full days of work. That's what a denarius was. Now, one other thing to recognize is that a full day of work back then typically was not eight hours. It was basically from sunrise to sunset, which, to use general terms, was 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. So this landowner hires some workers to work for a denarius, a fair wage, from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. Verse 3, about nine in the morning, so three hours later, he, the landowner, went out and saw others standing in the marketplace, not having been hired, doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. So three hours later in the story, the landowner comes back. He hires some more workers. He doesn't tell them in this case exactly what the amount is going to be, but he just tells them, trust me, I'm going to pay you a fair wage. And they go to work from nine until six. Verse six. He went out again about noon and then about three in the afternoon, did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And and this is not something that people would typically do, but many times in Jesus' parables, he would kind of like push the limits to what was normal to catch people's attention. Like a landowner wouldn't usually go out and hire someone for one hour, or by the time they actually got to the vineyard, it would have been less than an hour. But in this story, that's exactly what the landowner did, because the work they ended at six, he hired them at five, they worked for less than an hour. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, the ones hired at five, and then going on to the first. And so the workday is over. It's after six. All the workers from the day are gathered around, and now it's time to pay them. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So these workers who had only worked for less than one hour, they were paid the amount of money, a very generous amount of the same amount that a normal person would receive for working an entire day. So, verse 10. When those came who were hired first, or hired second, or hired third, they expected to receive more. I I mean, you could just imagine, I know it's a made-up story, but just put yourself in the the, the realm of the story. You could just imagine the other workers thinking, man, this guy got a denarius for just an hour? This is going to be an amazing payday because I worked 12 hours, or I worked nine hours, or I worked six hours. He's not paying a denarius for a day. He's paying a denarius an hour. This is awesome. But each one of them, all of the others that work that day, received the exact same. They also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Now, how much did the landowner say he was going to pay the people that were hired at 6 a.m. A denarius. And how much did he pay them? A denarius. And was a denarius a fair pay or wage for someone who worked less than a full day, like who started at 9 or who started at noon? Man, it was more than fair. They got paid more than what was fair. All of the people that got paid got paid a fair wage. So what was the problem? The problem was that they expected more than what was promised. If, um, if they who got hired at five, got that, then I should get more than what you originally said. And it wasn't promised to them, but it was what they expected. Our second fill-in goes like this. Um, You'll be disappointed with God when you expect what he has not promised. (laughs) And I laugh because I do this all the time. We do this all the time. There's something in us that believes this, that if I do the right thing, I should be rewarded. And, and, And we know especially those who've been around the church for a while, we know that at the end of the day that that we don't deserve anything, right? We know that that's what the Bible says and we, we, we even believe that. But there's this subtle lie 
in our lives and in our hearts that, that, that takes away some of our gratitude and elicits entitlement is if I do the right thing, then, then good things should come my way. If I do the right thing, then I should be rewarded. It's, it's, if I, I go to church on Sunday, then I should have a good week. Or, or if, I, if I follow God's plan for sex and sexuality while I'm dating, then I should find a good spouse by 25 or I should have a good marriage if I'm being faithful to my spouse or being faithful to what God has encouraged. Or if, how about this? If, if I'm nice to my neighbors and I clean up my language, and if I volunteer at the food shelf and if I join a North Cross group because the Lord knows they talk about it a lot, <laughs> then I should have a happier life a better life, a healthier life. You see, we find ourselves in either ways that I just shared or in other ways that maybe are unique to you, even though we know we don't deserve anything from God, living in the mentality of expectation and even entitlement and, and this is exactly the point where, okay, people become disappointed with God, frustrated with God, or sometimes even turn away from God altogether, not because God hasn't given them what he has promised, like a landowner who promised a denarius or a fair wage, but because we've expected things from him that would be nice, but that he never promised to give us. So, reality check. And it might hurt a little. But in the first century, there was a pastor named Paul. And he wrote this about me. He wrote this about us to the Ephesians, he wrote, as for you, specifically to the Ephesian Christians, but this all applies to every person, including you and me, you were at one time dead in your transgressions and sins. Do you understand that there are no levels or degrees of holiness? Like God does not grade on a curve. He doesn't round up. You're either perfectly holy in thought, word, and deed, or we're not. And if we're not, then Paul and other parts in Scripture rightly say, we are dead. We are dead when it comes to eternity. We are dead when it comes to our relationship with God. We have no future. We're spiritually dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And I will just tell you, this is my story before I came to faith. That I was dead and my only, only way to live 
would be to follow my sinful nature, to follow the ways of the world. And it's, it's your story too. And so like the rest, what are we deserving of? We were by nature deserving of wrath. What do we deserve? Punishment? Hell? Wrath? That is the real story, the real truth that the Bible says about each and every one of us. But you know what I'm glad about? That when Paul was writing, he had a verse four. Because here's how he continues. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich, overflowing in mercy and love, he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That is why the mission of our church and the mission of our lives should be to lead people to Jesus, not because it means you're going to have everything you want in life, but because through him and what he did for you in your place on the cross, he takes away your sin, he takes away our guilt, and he takes away death, and he gives us life. He gives us eternity as a gift, not one verses one through three, that we deserve or are owed or are entitled to, but instead one that God, or in this case, the landowner, gives you, as it says, it is by grace you have been saved, gives it to you by grace. And so, instead of hell, he gives us heaven. Instead of death, he gives us life. Instead of punishment, he gives us through the blood of his son eternity and a future. And when we think about that, when we think about all that he's given us that we do not deserve, I think the thing that I, I want you and me to go home with today, at least one of the things, is our next fill-in. That Jesus is enough. Even if everything went away, Job, <laughs> Jesus is enough. In fact, this is so important. I'm going to do something I don't typically do. I want you to say it with me, okay? Because we need to pound this down into our hearts. One, two, three. Jesus is enough. Okay, you want to get even more uncomfortable? I want you to turn to someone sitting next to you. Look them in the eye and tell them this. I'm not joking. Go ahead. Tell the person sitting next to you that Jesus... We need this. You need to hear it. You need to tell yourself. You need people to tell you. You need to tell other people. Jesus is enough. Guys, life as the Bible describes, this earthly life, it's a mist. It's like a breath in a, a chilly fall morning. You see it for a second and it goes away. 
It's short. But eternity is long. And do you know what you can take with you into eternity? Not much. It's your faith. Jesus makes all the difference. He is enough. And I hope that hits your heart right now. I hope it gives you just a little bit of a loosening of your grip on all the things that you think make you happy. Because while they're blessings, Jesus is enough. Verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble. So it's the, the group uh, that start, worked all day received a denarius. You know, just the amount that the landowner had promised, okay? And now they're all grumbling. Why? These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. What the landowner had promised was enough that those workers, all of them, decided that they were going to go and work for the day. They weren't complaining at the beginning. Do you know when the complaining and the grumbling happened? When they started to look around. Hmm. So here's the thing about entitlement. It's often fed by comparison. I'm as talented as he is. Why does he have that job? We work in our family as hard as they do. Why do they have all of that stuff? I know I follow God more closely than them. Do you know? But even if you think you do. Why do they seem to have so much blessing? And I seem to have so much hardship. Now, be careful what you assume about other people. We don't know their story. We don't know what they're going through or how they received what they have. For all you know, they might be $100,000 in debt, okay? But it is when we start to look around that we find these roots of grumbling and complaining happen because entitlement is often fed by comparison. And at the end of the day, it's not up to us to decide who gets what. It's not ours to begin with. <laughs> Next verse. So the landowner answered, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you work, agree to work for a denarius? Yeah. So take what I promised you and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Now, that hit my heart really hard, that last part, as I applied it to my life. What would happen that instead of being jealous of people whom God is being generous to, that we actually are like, wow, what an amazing God that gives them all that stuff. Wow, how generous a landowner, a God we have. Look at them. Look at all they got. Look at how blessed they are. 
That's a hard place to get our hearts and minds. And yet all that we have is a gift from God. And when you think about uh, what the spiritual meaning that Jesus was pointing to in this parable, I think one of the very obvious things is the gift of forgiveness and of heaven. And how even if you come to know Jesus as your savior at five o'clock and your life ends at six o'clock, that person gets the same heaven, the same forgiveness, the same grace that I get, even though I've been a Christian for all of my life. And what an amazing blessing and gift that is. The five o'clock person gets heaven by grace. I get heaven in the exact same way by grace. But as you think about a broader context of, of how God, the landowner, gives out gifts, okay, one of the things we have to come to recognize and know is that all that we have is a gift of God's grace. Everything. Heaven, yes, but everything else. And God, he does not owe us anything. We don't deserve anything. He gives it all to us by his grace and his love. And one of the things that I think as we get to kind of a little bit of just an application thought that helps with entitlement, remember, when you're off in a ditch with entitlement, it leads to a life of, of disappointment but an antidote for that is thankfulness. Number four, entitlement gets weaker as gratitude grows stronger. I mean, think about all the things that God has given you. Most of you, as the winter months come, have heat in your home. You know what you don't have to do to get it? go out in the backyard and chop down your suburban small tree in the yard and light a fire. You just turn on a switch. It goes from cool to off to heat. <laughs> or if you need water, how many of you grab a big jug and go down to the city well? Where is the city well in Lakeville anyway? I don't know where to go. And then you bring it home and boil it all because there might be life-threatening diseases in it. You know what we do? We have to walk from our bedroom to the faucet and we turn it on and there's water. How do you get to work? Walk five miles? Walk ten? Hitchhike? Most of us, probably all of us families have a car. And yes, yours might be old. But we're blessed. We have these things called smartphones, which, by the way, they have gone from luxury to necessity in our minds and in our hearts. And God help us if that would ever be taken away from us, okay? But um, 
I just discovered the blessing of not just being able to talk to a family member who lives in a different state, but getting to see them. What a blessing. I was out with some friends the other night, and we were talking about uh, high school songs that we loved. Remember the day where if you wanted to play a song that was in your brain, you had to hope you had the CD or the cassette tape? And then you had to find it. Any song we want, you just type it into this thing in our hands called a phone, and you can listen to anything. It is amazing. And then on top of all of that, Jesus gave you heaven and hope and a future. Jesus is enough. Even just him, it's enough. You see, here's the horrible thing about entitlement. It leaves no room for thanks. It leaves no room for grace. And you know what the gospel is? It's the good news of a God who gave you what you didn't deserve. And through Jesus, who gave everything, we get everything for eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the things, the big things and the little things that you give. And Lord, today we spend a moment just confessing that there have been moments and maybe even years that we have lived with an entitled mentality where if we don't have what we think we need or want or that we get grumble against you, the landowner, for things that you haven't promised us. Forget to thank you for all the things that you have given us. And Lord, today I pray that a renewed gratitude for what you've done for us through Jesus will act as rumble strips and lead us away from the ditch of entitlement and to a life filled with more gratitude. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.